0: Why are so many people enamored with a story about dragons, white walkers, and magic? What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay Shear. On today's podcast, we're digging deeper into the world of Westeros and Essos. After eight years, Game of Thrones is coming to an end. I invited Stefan Sase from the Boiled Leather Audio Hour podcast and Rod and Karen from the Black Guy Who Tips podcast to talk about this epic fantasy television series which happens to be one of the most popular cable television series of all time. But why? We're digging deeper into Game of Thrones to determine why this show is so compelling, especially to geeks. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones premiered on HBO on April 17th, 2011, but it's based on the fantasy series A Song of Ice and Fire, which was written by George R.R. Martin. Martin's first novel in the series, which is also titled Game of Thrones, was released in 1996. And due to its fantasy setting, the number of characters it follows, and of course, the controversial subject matter, it's somewhat surprising it was ever turned into a television series at all. But now, in 2019, Game of Thrones has become a cultural phenomenon. The series finale for Season 7 had 32.8 million viewers in one week, and the premiere episode for Season 8 had over 17 million viewers in less than 24 hours. And it doesn't stop there. The show generates a ton of conversation on Twitter and around water coolers all across the world. For many people, Game of Thrones ranks as one of the best TV shows of all time. I tend to agree. For me, it's flirting with being in my top five, though it's really difficult to give it a final ranking before it's over. Karen from the Black Eye Who Tips podcast puts Game of Thrones at number two on her all-time list, right behind Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And here's what her husband and co-host Rod had to say. As
1: for me, um, I would say it probably is my favorite show. I think it's like the best show of all time. And uh, there's a lot of good shows out there. I mean, obviously, you know, the classics, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all the stuff that, The Wire, you know, the stuff that everybody's gonna say. But um, yeah, for me, I think just being a nerd, I've never seen production value this high for a nerd show. So it's number one.
0: Because Game of Thrones draws from Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, Readers of those books, like Stefan Sasse, have to decide which version of the story they prefer. As he pointed out to me in our conversation, the show deviates from the books enough that, for many fans of Martin's writing, the show just can't add up. Here are some of Stefan's thoughts about the books.
2: I love the books to death. I'm rereading them on a regular basis. I guess I've clocked in at over 15 reads for uh, each of them, so... um they are my all-time high and each time i open them or these days i'm usually using the audiobooks um each time i'm listening to them it's like coming home in a certain respect you know Uh, if uh, if i read an ayah chapter i know what's in it Uh, it's not like there is any surprise in terms of plot uh, although you always discover something you haven't discovered before. But it's bit, it's always a little, bit, a little bit like coming home, you know. You see, oh, this is Arya getting needle, and you, you get all warm and fuzzy and that kind of stuff, you know. For me, the books are very,
0: very special.
2: They are just a life-defining
0: read, basically. Perhaps the most notable difference between the books and the TV series? They might not end the same way. The HBO series got out ahead of Martin's source material. But no matter which version of the story you prefer, the story seems to matter. One of the things I find so interesting about Game of Thrones is the show's popularity across cultures and subcultures. I am a 38-year-old white cis male who was born and raised in Southern California, where I currently reside. I'm fairly apolitical, but fascinated by storytelling and how stories impact societal and cultural values. I'm a Christ follower and I'm also a writer, and view most stories through those lenses. Here's Stefan describing himself.
2: So I'm 35 years old. Uh, I'm also white. Uh, I was born and raised in southern Germany, southwest Germany which is uh, Swabia. I'm coming from the uh, ca- uh, direct surroundings of the state capital of Stuttgart. And uh, I would describe myself as fairly political. Uh, people uh, who fo- uh, who follow me know that I'm, in American terms, I'm a liberal. That's me. I'm also writing a lot about politics, so if you follow me on Twitter, uh, be, be prepared uh, that I am not only uh, talking about Game of Thrones. Uh, so, and I'm all, uh, obviously also interested in societal and cultural values. Uh, my profession is I'm a teacher, uh, and I teach literature. Uh, On the one hand, uh, German literature, uh, but I'm also using uh, George R. R. Martin's works there, and uh, I have also analyzed, done film analysis with my students and used Game of Thrones, obviously, stuff like that. And I also do history and politics uh, as uh, subjects, so uh, there is a clear cross-section there. And I'm not really
0: a spiritual person, I have to admit. I'm more on the atheist side. And here's a little background on Karen and Rod as well.
2: I just turned 40.
3: I'm black, I am in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. I I consider myself spiritual.
1: As for me, you know, I'm 40, black, Southern um, America. And then for my religion, I'm, I'm an atheist, maybe agnostic, whichever way you want to define that. Um, and as far as my political beliefs, I'm definitely uh, on the left. Like, you know, you're you black in America, you on the left.
0: From Southern California to North Carolina to Germany, the show has struck a chord with our generation and probably other generations as well. One of the biggest reasons for that, the show came out at a time when geek and nerd culture became pop culture.
2: There is no subgroup of people that is inherently less disposed towards sci-fi or fantasy. And I describe this phenomenon as the nerdstream era phenomenon, which is uh, what I called my own blog after. And what I mean when I say nerdstream, this is basically a new word created from nerd and mainstream. And what I'm saying is nerddom, uh, the nerd culture, has gone mainstream in the last one and a half decades. And Game of Thrones is the major exponent of that. You know, when I was in school, reading a book like Game of Thrones would have marked me as a, an, an outstanding person in the literal sense of the word, you know, as standing outside the mainstream. And if there would have been something like a Game of Thrones TV show, it would never have been that popular. You would have been weird for watching it. And my students today... Uh, They are all basically watching it, uh, and they are discussing it. It doesn't matter. You don't need to be a nerd uh, in order to enjoy Star Wars today or Lord of the Rings or uh, The Hobbit or whatever. Uh, This has gone, or the MCU for that matter. So uh, it it has gone mainstream, and this is uh, just fascinating. Uh, As I already said, it's underappreciated yet how much popular culture has changed over the last 5 to 10 years.
1: This is the first time that like the rest of the world has kind of become nerds, but uh, yeah. So most of like the stuff for me is like a culmination of for Game of Thrones is like a culmination of a whole lot of nerd stuff. You know the uh, books that my grandma used to buy me at the at the thrift store for like twenty five cents that was like throwaway science fiction fantasy novels that you know some someone read and threw out or something. Uh, you know, those type of things, uh, comic books, um, cartoons, all the things when I was a kid that I was just into, um, I think I just kind of am into like sci-fi nerd stuff anyway. Um, and I've always been black while experiencing these things. I've always been in America while experiencing these things. So of course that influences my perspective. And so I look for certain things, you know, I look for uh, certain characters I root for is because I feel a kinship to the fact that their plight is, is similar to mine. You know, uh, the black characters in Game of Thrones, I'm like, oh, man, I, got, I hope they make it, you know, but just just strictly based off of that. You know, and, um, it's stuff like that we bring individually and I'm sure everyone has their things that they bring individually to it. I mean, you got to think, man, Game of Thrones has come through at the same time as like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the me too movement um i think marriage equality may have passed during game of thrones era like 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 the world views have changed and shifted and conversations have shifted donald trump you know things have changed throughout this time and so i think all of that stuff is right with us when we come to view it
3: it causes people's definition of nerd to change because a lot of people grew up with the definition of nerd they were assuming that you were in like the extra smart classes with the 4.0 and the pocket protectors and the TI 82 calculators like that was a lot of def- and you constantly got picked on and you didn't dress well like or whatever their definition of it was but yeah, na- it used, nerd used to mean social outcast right but and that- now it
1: kind of means like smart person and now nerds kind of run the world. So I just think that world changed. The world kind of changed at the same time that this TV show came
3: along. Yes, and also I think with a lot of people like me coming in and not reading the books, but I can get just as much enjoyment, and sometimes even more sometimes from not having that knowledge and that background and that history. Not that it doesn't add to it, but it doesn't take away. It brings cultures together that otherwise wouldn't be in the same room particularly online, so you have different peoples with different experiences coming online, and whatever their life experience is, particularly with Twitter, the jokes that they have at home about these characters, they can bring it to a platform that other people can see their jokes, and they can relate to them, and they think that they're funny, and and it causes interactions with each other. I know, particularly, with uh, me being black, there are jokes within our community that we might joke about within the community, but we can take those things and apply it to the characters on screen and people just die laughing. Like, yeah, my mama does that or my sister does that or I remember when my brother does that and and I enjoy the the happiness that it brings the community as, as a whole when it's Game of Thrones time. On Sunday mornings, I get so excited to see everybody interacting with you. You ready? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Is it nine o'clock yet? I just like that you can bring different backgrounds together on this particular show.
0: What about the books in the TV series resonate with so many people? One of the reasons the show resonates so much with me personally is how it addresses serious, sometimes challenging subject matter. We live in a world full of broken people and unjust systems. To me, Game of Thrones reflects that truth. And it fleshes out its fictional world by giving us realistic, multifaceted characters. Characters who have needs, wants, strengths, and weaknesses. And when those broken characters engage with each other, we see how their failures, triumphs, vices, and virtues impact those around them.
3: For me, Game of Thrones reveals that the world is ruthless, And you have to make a choice of, are you going to be as ruthless as everybody else around you? Or are you going to actually have compassion and sympathy and empathy? And it also shows that if you are, have those quote unquote good characteristics, there are penalties for that. Those people aren't always rewarded all the time. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not you know, and also the people that are ruthless end up a lot of times having terrible things happen to them just like in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and But sometimes they're rewarded too. So it's like you had kinda, for me personally, it's like what kind of path, you know, do you take when things present themselves you know, before you. Um, And I think for me personally, that's a struggle that most people have to deal with every day, whether they know it or not, they kind of, you know, you're just walking around in the world. How do you interact with people? How do you read people? You know, do you have a tendency to shun people to just look at people and just assume that they're not worth your time, or they're not worthy of certain things, you know? So for me, I think of the show kind of deep in that way. And I know that's going down a really deep path, but those are the things that when I look at the show overall, even though they're doing it with magic and dragons and all that stuff, but that's the reality of it once you look at it, because you have to think of how they treat women in this world, how they treat people with disabilities in this world. You know, those types of things we have to deal with every day, but because it's fictional, a lot of times people separate the reality of the real world from it, but those are things that I have a tendency to look at.
2: Martin is very careful not to um, pass judgment too easily you know the prime example of this obviously is Jamie Lannister you know he is introduced as this pretty one-dimensional villain doing villainous stuff and then suddenly when you get his perspective it all does, doesn't necessarily look virtuous or anything but but it looks different uh, it looks relatable and uh, suddenly you are asking yourself what would I have done uh, in that situation uh, you know and this is something uh, that only great literature can do this is not something i mean if you d- watch the walking dead you are not asking yourself oh how would i react if i were the governor you know uh, it is just the governor is a one-dimensional villain and you you are just going yeah i killed a son of a bitch you know what i mean and this is not happening in game of thrones uh, which is much more complex in that regard and which gives you a uh, several sides of the issue not that it would present them neutrally or anything it's not like martin doesn't have uh, an opinion that he wouldn't let you know i mean there is no question uh, that daenerys is in the right when she fights the slavers for example Uh, but martin is also shedding light on the price that you have to pay um on the repercussions and he shows that just having the right inclination, you know, just um, having the right moral convictions alone doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, and I think this is a rather revolutionary part of uh, um, of the Song of Ice and Fire.
0: If you listen to the Story Geeks podcast, you've heard me talk about Lisa Kron's book, Wired for Story. It's a book for writers who want to craft better stories, and it's fantastic. But the central premise of the book might be even more important than the tips referenced throughout. See, according to neuroscience, the human brain is wired to understand and interpret the world through storytelling. Not data, not even information or knowledge, stories. Which means that stories matter. Game of Thrones matters. But where in Game of Thrones do we find truth?
2: We are hardwired for stories. We love stories and we tend to frame our own life experiences as stories there is this um proverb about everyone is the hero of their own story um which plays a major role and uh, as a historian myself uh, i'm seeing this play out over and over again you know when when people especially in positions where they can decide the fate of nations when they get in their heads that they are protagonists in a story things get dangerous and you can also see martin picking up on this with aegon the sixth you know where you have this whole idea of basically making a story come true and people are framing everything they have in terms of storytelling and sometimes this is just a method of coping with the world you know uh, like sorting uh, random events into uh, a framework that makes sense for you And uh, sometimes it gives you a a kind of your own power, you know, this belief in yourself uh, and, and all of that so if you read a book like game of thrones or the song of ice and fire series people are getting different things out of it so for example we have this uh, huge discussion going on for years now whether or not uh, the marine arc uh, of daenerys is resembling uh, the iraq war is is it a metaphor for american occupation of iraq or is it a metaphor of uh, reconstruction after the american civil war or is it something else entirely? You know, people try to make sense of narratives and to uh, to draft them back and forth and, and to weave them back into the narratives they already know. History is usually told in narratives. And so it basically uh, holds a very elemental truth what you're saying there.
1: For me personally, I think uh, it does it's a pretty good reflection. It's kind of weird because like, um, there's like the meta part of it where like, even within the storytelling of the two directors who've chosen to tell the story, their, their biases are going to show. Right. Um, so, cause, cause we all are creatives or not we we all are kind of influenced by our biases and it comes out in our work. So I think that like the infighting in the face of like the white walkers is a great point. Cause it's, it reminds me of like global warming, you know, global warming becomes like a debate because some people don't want to do anything about it. And it gets to an emergency all hands on deck situation and i don't feel like everyone's going to come together and fight global warming in the way that we that uh, they fought the white walkers on um, game of thrones um unfortunately and i do think there's a ton of other issues within the uh the show that really do reflect our society um uh such as like the way that they use women in the first like three or four seasons with a lot of like Sex position, I think, is what they call it, where someone's like, <laughs> someone's like, you know, giving exposition and dialogue and explaining something, but it's in a, it's like in a whorehouse, the kind of things where, uh, the, you know, there was a big controversy over a sex scene between Cersei and Jamie mm-hmm. and people were saying this is sexual assault that you guys filmed, and the directors are saying it's not, you know. So th- those are issues that may personally be of those directors' issues, but they're making it into the show, right? And then, of course, like, you know, the elephant in the room for us as black people is just kind of like there's not a lot of black representation. And when black and brown people are on screen, they're typically, uh, you know, you have the Dothraki who are kind of your savage warriors that, that, that are nomads. You have the Unsullied who are these like castrated warriors of uh, who used to be slaves. Then you have like tons of just random brown people that are slaves uh um, that put danny on on their arms and shoulders and like screamed mahisa uh you know as as like a praise uh praiseworthy word which you know sounds kind of close to massa if, if in america so like <laughs> so like i remember that moment on social media and like black people had a completely different reaction overall yeah. to, than everybody else and then even last night you know with uh what happened to missandy you end up you know feeling like man's it's like half the black characters gone in one scene, you know, and and maybe that's one of the reasons it does resonate with people. It kind of still feels like this world, even in the fantasy element, is like, oh, there's an obvious caste system, there's obvious like biases. Um, with Masani and Grey Worm, were up north, they were experiencing like weird racial. Uh, stuff from some of the like Winterfellians and you're just mm-hmm. like man this world is not that different than this world like this is so this is so amazing Westeros is it feels a lot like home sometimes so um, I think those are the kind of issues that I see throughout the series that that makes me think about it
0: I love those takes I personally see truth in the way the show handles perspectives on spirituality and spiritual beings. Some characters are dedicated to gods like Melisandre and Beric, who both serve the Lord of Light. The show indicates that the Lord of Light is a real entity and one who performs miracles for those who follow him. But those who follow him are also broken and make horrendous decisions in his name. I see the same thing in our world, in the real world. Faithful characters also experience doubt. Unbelieving skeptical characters, like Sir Davos, who I'll talk a little bit more about later, struggle to understand whether or not the Lord of Light is complete bullshit or if there's something to the deity's actions. The topic isn't easy for any of those characters. And spirituality is just one component of the show. They also tackle issues related to race, sexuality, love, family, and more. All of those issues are messy. There are multiple viewpoints on those issues, and no one viewpoint is declared right or wrong. They just are. They just exist. And maybe that's one of the reasons the show works for so many people. We see issues we're dealing with in our own lives, and we're forced to wrestle with them. Just like in real everyday life, those issues aren't safe, they're not easy, and they're rarely clean. It's messy, people get hurt, and injustice lurks around every corner. One of our listeners, supporters, and team members, Caitlin Gibson, asked about cultural norms and overarching systems. Does the show acknowledge modern day issues? Is the Game of Thrones itself an example of tribalism? Do the White Walkers represent global issues the world at large faces? And what does that say about our real life tribes, ideologies, and worldwide fears?
2: I think Martin is talking about very general. Um, concepts that are integral to the human experience as Dan Carlin always says it you know uh, the uh, his whole thing about um, the human heart in conflict with itself uh, and all these elements that have been true um, uh, points of contention uh, about in in our societies for hundreds of years so for example uh, the honor code which has been the very first episode of the Boyd Leather Audio Hour. We talked about honor in Westeros, you know, and how it, uh, how its perception informs what characters are doing and how they are viewing themselves. Uh, this this has always been a problem, you know, because it's an identity issue, and identity is a lot uh, is what drives people, uh, all of us. Uh, left right it doesn't matter everyone has an identity um the how they are seeing themselves and they need to reinforce that into um or they are questioning it in in which case they get self-doubt and all of that and uh, game of thrones uh, and song of ice and fire is doing a lot of the same things uh, we are looking at uh who we are uh really so so you have different concepts that martin explores so for example when you look at john snow you have a moderate leader very pragmatic uh, who is pretty bad at communicating and now you can say "Ha, i see elements of hillary clinton there but that would be that would be bullshit basically uh, not only because the book came out uh, so much in advance but but this is a topic that comes up in politics all the time you know do we follow an aspirational leader uh, who is Maybe having a little bit more of an unrealistic uh, and far-fetched but inspiring vision, or do we follow leaders who get stuff done? For example, and Game of Thrones is um, dealing with this all the time. Uh, or uh, what is um, what is a good family man? You know, um, how do you um, how do you educate your kids? Um, what uh, what are we leaving to our kids? Um, What are the values that we uh, hold the highest? And and all of that is explored without necessarily having a one-to-one counterpart in the real world.
3: When you think about the the slavery, when uh, Danny was, you know, traveling earlier and she comes across this place and she literally kills all the slave masters, but then the economy tanks. And it's just one of those things where in the reality, people are so angry of their oppression that they just want to get rid of the people that oppress them, not realizing that regardless of what has happened, you still need them as a part to keep things functioning. And I think that, uh, sometimes people have a tendency to forget those things.
0: As with spirituality, the way the characters respond to these issues feels like something we might see in the real world. Cersei Lannister cares more about herself and her tribe than she does about the impending White Walker invasion. Others, like Jon and Danny, lead bands of disparate tribes against the uncompromising threat of the White Walkers. Again, one of the reasons the show resonates with so many people is that we see these things in our own lives, and it forces us to question our decisions. Fully fleshed out characters are rare. It's far more common to see basic archetypes. But Game of Thrones gives us characters with depth. These characters are three-dimensional, and as I mentioned earlier, they have needs, wants, vices, and virtues. The heroes aren't perfect, and the villains have some good traits. Well, sometimes just one good trait, and I'm looking at you, Joffrey, and you, Ramsay. I personally resonate with Sir Davos. He's skeptical, but he wants to do the right thing. He's loyal, but troubled by leadership decisions that he doesn't agree with. He's also compassionate, humble, and faces his fears. But I also resonate with Tywin Lannister, a character who functions a lot like the Don of a mafia family. He's competitive, strategic, and a total asshole. Sometimes when I get competitive or start to rely too much on systems instead of compassion for people, I need to check myself. I don't want to be a Tywin Lannister. But the temptation is there. Which is why I also resonate with Braun. He's a sellsword who rejects existing systems and relies solely on his own merits. As an entrepreneur, I dig that. Maybe you can see the same thing if you look hard enough. Would you do terrible things to other people to protect your own family like Cersei Lannister does? Have you used information to manipulate other people like Tyrion, Varys, or Peter Baelish? Or maybe you've overcome trauma like Arya, Sansa, or even Theon Greyjoy. Frequent guest and friend of the show, Michael Gordon, asked about the characters. What about these characters' works? What makes them so compelling? I turn this question over to Karen, Stefan, and Rod. Here are some of the characters they resonate with.
3: I resonate the most with uh, Sansa. I understand being a young lady, being naive, not knowing how the world functions. Thinking that you know how the world functions, having these ideas of what you think may happen and it goes nothing like that. Uh, another reason why I can relate with Sansa, because Sansa done been through some things. I think sometimes people don't give Sansa credit because you know, she was a child when this series first started, so you know, she, and, and she's a straight female, so she wanted to be married to the prince and all that stuff because that's what had been ingrained in her and that's really what she thought she wanted at that time people underestimate the things that she's been through as far as being raped, being beaten, having to run to now she's like, look, if I hadn't have been through those things, I wouldn't be who I am now. And there are so many women that can say, nah, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but if it hadn't happened, I would not be the whole person I am now. I think that it made her smarter. It made her very cunning. It made her very strategic. But the thing is, you don't get those things unless you learn from the best. So, you know, she learned in her own way, but she learned. And just because it wasn't violent, just because she wasn't out here stabbing people up and all that stuff, it doesn't mean she hasn't went through anything and it doesn't mean she hasn't learned.
2: I have a weird a soft spot in my heart for bran every time a, a chapter opens with bran i i'm like ah oh, that's great uh, i i i really just love the character and i, I was I was really destroyed when the dance with dragons only had three chapters of him because, uh, all the, all those years I was always like, yeah, finally I'm getting my brand back. And then he was in like three <laughs> chapters. Uh, the, the <laughs> it was a letdown if there any, if there ever was one, uh, but, but I really uh, love his chapters. One of the reasons for this is what we talked about earlier, uh, that life is about stories and brands whole experience, uh, is about stories, uh, as much as Sansa's is. I just love to death. Uh, the chapter in storm of swords where bran is told the story of the night of the laughing tree how it boils down the essence of why we tell each other stories and how it translate and folds back into the narrative you know if you read this for the first time it's like a chapter in which nothing really happens and they talk about a lot of strange stuff uh, but if you read it twice, thrice, whatever, or for the first time, not as sloppy as I do. And if you read this and uh, and it calls back on other stuff, this, this is the power of story. You, you know, you have it right there, condensed in this one chapter, and uh, Bran's whole story is about this. And uh, this is also what I uh, liked about episode two of season eight, um, when uh, Bran gave this rationale for why the Night's King wants to kill him why he is the end boss uh, of the night king so to speak um because he is the collective memory of mankind you know and, and that the white walkers are set out not only to destroy all the living but also to erase memory that really resonated with me
1: um for me i'll probably say uh salador san um Uh, because, uh, he was, uh, the black pirate that was in like the first four seasons. And then when these white people started fighting, he was like, I actually, I'm good. And we haven't seen him since. And I feel like that's kind of, that's kind of me. Uh, it's my introvert goals right there. You got a a bag full of gold and was like, this ain't got nothing to do with me. Um, and I feel like that's kind of how I would be in this world. I don't think I would want to be on the front lines of fighting for any of this stuff, crazy stuff. Um and yeah so I probably relate to him the
0: most. Maybe you're not willing to acknowledge any of that about yourself. But do you see these characters and their traits in some of the people surrounding you? I bet you do. As good as Game of Thrones is, it certainly isn't perfect. I'm not sure that any story is, certainly none of the stories I've written are anywhere near perfect. But I'm not sure we should expect our stories to be perfect either. What part of the Game of Thrones narrative from the books or the TV show do you find the most troubling? Uh, One
2: of the things uh, that I uh, realized during the last two or three seasons is that several characters are basically fifth wheels. This uh, especially uh, is true for every political actor because since season seven, the show basically ceased to be about politics which is why it's so weird that they're not getting back into it uh, and so for a uh, large swaths of time littlefinger Varys, tyrian they didn't have anything to do and uh, so the show invented some half-assed plots for them which couldn't have any impact so they were destined to fail which led to all kinds of continuity problems uh, so uh, i don't know how much these are missteps uh, and not necessary evils um again contractual reasons and all that overall most characters are handled uh, okay but there are obvious missteps uh in in some ways and the problem uh that i have is when they use a character to basically cheat themselves out of Uh, of real arcs or uh, real threats so for example the rape of sansa is one example Uh, the uh, homophobia towards uh, loris tyrell Uh, it's uh, it's using a character as a pinata basically in uh, in order to get the plot moving in a very timely efficient manner which again is kind of necessary for them uh, but it really uh, destroys things uh on the way sometimes
1: as far as missteps i think the only main misstep for me is that scene with jamie and cersei having sex by the casket of joffrey like i know people say it's from the book or whatever but it feels like somebody just needed to be like yeah we can't do that (laughs) like this is not there's no way to depict like in the book you have so many different things you can do like inner monologue and um you just can't do that with a tv show with an omnipotent viewpoint of us just watching two characters like it just felt really weird and and bad so i think a lot of stuff is like kind of quibbles that people have where it's like you know why is Brienne crying over a man or whatever and i'm like i mean dog it's like it's been eight seasons is maybe she had a little emotional moment it's all right like You know, um, stuff like that. You know, people call people, like, stupid or whatever for falling in love. But, like, love in itself is kind of a dumb thing right? that we all do. And all
3: they're doing is telling you that they've been hurt like everybody else. But they just handle it differently. And they just think, well, I can't find love. Nobody should.
1: And this isn't, like, insecure. They don't have, like, enough time to do, like, serious romance. You know, we're never going to see, like, the first date. Like, it's just, you know, these characters fall in love as the show kind of needs them to.
3: They depended too much on uh, TNA. I think it was a lot of unnecessary sexual scenes, whorehouses and raping houses, that once you go back and you look at the series, you go, no, 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 y'all didn't really need this. They go, well, we want to have a sex scene where we're going to have dialogue, very crucial dialogue, that you actually need to pay attention to while you're watching people move. And a lot of people aren't paying attention to what the people are saying. So they miss plot points, (laughs) like really important plot points, (laughs) you know, because you want to use this as a way to kind of move the storyline along. You could have done it, but not in that manner, you know, because even now they've shown people have sex without them showing the sex and everybody got the gist of it. I think that another downside down down quote unquote downside is that it was kind of slow and drawn out for no reason. I I was glad that they started speeding it up. I know, like I said, reading no line. A lot of book readers complain. I'm like, no, speed this stuff up. We are not book readers. Like you said, I can't, don't know people's inner monologues. I, you know, unless you tell me I can only assume by the actor and the way they're portraying and what they tell me. So I was fine with a lot of speeding up a lot of taking out the rape, a lot of moving the storyline. Along, a lot of let's kind of wrap and tie bows on these things. I kind of enjoy the. I enjoyed the series in its whole, but I enjoyed the series kind of after they left the books. I know a lot of book readers would disagree with me, but I really, in my opinion, it actually got better.
0: For me, the biggest issue with the series has been the underlying premise. In seasons one through four, the show was remaining true to the books. The world felt chaotic. The Game of Thrones itself felt like a meaningless pursuit rife with tragedy, backstabbing, and hopelessness. Even Ned Stark, a family man with a strong value system, was pulled into the Game of Thrones and forced to confess to a crime he didn't commit to save his family. Except, even after his confession, Joffrey still had him killed. The bastard. The hero's journey, a staple in fantasy stories, was showcased as ridiculous, but After the TV show got out ahead of the books, they seemed to embrace some of the things that they had previously rejected. And that's okay. The series doesn't need to mirror the books. In fact, Karen, Stefan, and Rod all said that. I agree, but it does transform the show itself in some strange ways. One of the things we all agree on, the show and the books it was based on are great. Game of Thrones is a compelling, engaging, and fascinating story. If we truly are wired for story, how has Game of Thrones impacted us? How has it changed our society, both on the east and west coasts of the United States and all the way across the world in places like Germany? The real question when we look at art is, does it make us better? What I appreciate about Game of Thrones is that it doesn't always have answers, but it does present us with important questions. Also, it has dragons, and magic, and white walkers, and as a geek, of course, I'm super into that. It prompts us to think deeper, and it's a story wrapped in a geek exoskeleton. I find it meaningful, and many of you probably do too. My question for you is, why? If you question Game of Thrones, where do you find truth? That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Stefan Sase from the Boiled Leather Audio Hour and Rod and Karen from the Black Guy Who Tips podcast for joining me. I talked for over an hour with Stefan and then recorded another hour separately with Rod and Karen. Stefan talks a lot more about the differences between the books and the show, and Rod and Karen talk a lot more about the cultural impact of the show. I found both interviews to be profound and engaging, so I hope you'll listen to them. They're both available to our Patreon supporters for $2 a month or more. Click the link in the show notes to gain access to them. And please check out Stefan's show and Rod and Karen's show. Links to their shows and their Twitter accounts are also in the show notes. If you dig the MCU, be sure to go back in our podcast feed and find our recently released MCU series. There's some fantastic content in there. And next week, we're kicking off our DCEU series, going from Marvel to DC. We'll be digging deeper into Shazam, Aquaman, and we'll have a couple of nerd fights for you as well. Subscribe for free to the Story Geeks podcast on your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss out on that series. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcasts, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. As I mentioned, if you want to hear my full interviews with Stefan, Rod, and Karen, which I highly recommend, head over to thestorygeeks.com and click on premium content. If you support us on Patreon for $2 a month or more, you gain access to all of that content. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Brianna... Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujo, Monty Thigpen, Ray DeLeon, Samuel Peloquin, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our Aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards, or just to support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.